are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Today is a new day and that we're embarking on a new sermon series. Uh, it's going to lay out who we are as Emmanuel. We already know what our vision is, right? Our vision is to be a uh, diverse family that is looking to make the real Jesus known. That's our vision. That's what we are trying to do. But a vision, brothers and sisters, it is a goal that's never fully realized. It depicts a reality that we long and that we strive for. We're doing that. We're moving towards that goal together. It's where we're headed. It's the destination. Uh, Five years from now, we want to look back and say, man, we're becoming, we're becoming a diverse family. We're making the real Jesus known. People are coming to know the real Jesus. But if we're able to say that, we won't follow that with, well, we did it. Time to pack up and go. We've arrived. The vision is never fully realized. We're going to just continue to keep on going, becoming more and more diverse, becoming more and more gospel-centered, becoming more and more immersed in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Vision brings people together. Our vision does of people of all ages, life stages, ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses, and yes, even college football fandom. A vision drives us forward. Every, every vision requires planning because a vision without a plan is just a dream. A mission, on the other hand, which is what we're going to talk about today, is a concise explanation of an organization's purpose. It gives us our marching orders for daily life. Drew, it's how we want to try and fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. Keegan, it's over the next few weeks, we want to just give everybody some language, some nomenclature, some words to describe the mission of Emmanuel Church. In truth, the language that we use today is not new. Is exactly how we've described the aim of our gospel communities. Raise your hand if you're a part of a gospel community. And we're just taking that language and we're offering it unto God. And this morning, I want to offer it to you as marching orders to go forward. At Emmanuel, here's our vision. We want every person to grow in Christ, connect with others, and live on mission. Let's say that together. Grow in Christ, connect with others, and live on mission. That's what our mission is. And for the next three weeks, we're going to unpack that. I'm going to highlight and explore and unpack the idea of what it means for every person to grow in Christ. Why don't you say that? Grow in Christ. I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 4. Just let me, let me open up six verses, five verses from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to be coming from verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Ephesus in a port city surrounded by a diversity of religions and cultures. He says, speaking of Christ, he says, He gave himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here it is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity, 
with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed to and fro by every uh, wind of doctrine or of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and in the techniques of deceit. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head. Who is that? Christ. From him, the whole body, knitted, fitted, together by every supporting ligament, promotes the body's growth for the building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this main idea we're playing with today is we want to see what it looks like to grow in every way into the head who is Christ. The goal of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is not just being converted. It's being Christ-like. John, it's, it's, it's more than just saying some pious statements, walking around with a card, maybe in your wallet or your purse. It's more than just saying something and feeling sorry for yourself and then having an emotional moment at an altar or at an evangelistic retreat. The goal of the Christian life is, the, is to become more and more like Christ. This is the thought, this thought of Christ-likeness. Uh, it is the next steps in a series of, of walking down a path ushered by the Holy Spirit. And honestly, this idea that there's more post-conversion in Christianity is foreign to most of our sensibilities. Particularly here in the West, many people have salvation presented to them as fire insurance. Sign your name on a dotted line, make some pious statements, and you're good to go. And there's a lot to unpack there, but I don't have time this morning. Most of our Christian sensibilities are framed in a way to celebrate an acceptance of the faith more than the conviction of the faith lived out. I often hear people throw out lofty numbers in an attempt to capture and validate a ministry moment with phrases like this. Yeah, man, 25 people had came to Christ. We had 300 people accept Christ into their heart at this event or that event. And I often find myself, Andy, wondering how does one even truly quantify that? The Gospels are replete with quotes from the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, highlighting the necessary testing of fruit to verify everybody's growth. The entire biblical meta-narrative from Genesis to Revelation captures this concept of growth for God's people. Let the church say growth. Come here, let me call Moses to the witness stand. In Exodus chapter 3, we witness and we watch as a, a, a suspect wanted for murder on the run from the Egyptian authorities comes face to face with the voice of God in the burning bush and his demeanor changes from there on out. But even after that running with God at the burning bush, Moses still had to grow. Let the church say grow. He leads the children of Israel out of bondage, but he's not. He still got people coming to him day and night. And because Moses thinks that he's the only person who can solve everybody's issue, the Lord has to send Jethro to come and help him. Because even after a face-to-face -face experience with God, even after leading God's people out of bondage, Moses still had to grow. Let the church say grow. Moses leads the people further to Mount Sinai. 
and, and spends time with God on the top of the mountain in the very presence, the tangible presence of God. And even after that, Moses still had to grow in patience because when he found the children of Israel worshiping a golden calf in anger, he broke the commandments of God asunder because Moses, even after spending time in the presence of the Lord, still had to grow. Let the church say grow. Even after you come face to face with the Lord of hosts, even after you have a salvation moment at the altar, you've still got to grow. But I'm not just going to live in the Old Testament. Let's jump to the New Testament. Let me call the Apostle Paul to the witness stand because you don't get more prominent than the biblical Oscar winning scene featuring Paul and Barnabas who are in a tussle, a fight over John Mark. They split the missionary team and go in two completely different directions. If I have my choices of who I would rather have be a pastor between early Paul and Barnabas, I'm probably going to go with Barnabas because even Paul, after his conversion experience, even Paul still had to grow let the church say grow see you can even write a book in the bible a letter to the ephesian church or the church at corinth and you still have to grow let the church say grow first corinthians chapter three verses one and two listen to what paul even after having to grow says to the church at corinth he says and i brethren i couldn't speak to you as spiritual men but i had to speak to you as men of the flesh i had to speak to you as infants in christ I wanted to give you meat, I, I, but I, I had to give you milk to drink, not solid food, because you weren't ready to receive it. Let the church say they needed to grow. Indeed, even now you're not able. Listen to what Luke says in his gospel uh, as he recollects the words from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. Here it is and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Let the church say grow. It's like, a, it's like an inside job. You come across some tickets on the 50 yard line to the Atlanta Falcons game. You come across tickets on the 50 yard line to the Mississippi State Bulldog game. Okay, you come across uh, tickets on the 50-yard line to the Alabama Crimson Tide football game. Or maybe you find some tickets in the dumpster that are for the 50-yard line to the Auburn War Eagle football game. And as you're trying to confirm your seats, you're calling, trying to confirm, and you're just having a little bit of trouble trying to connect with somebody on the inside. Or maybe you've made a reservation to your favorite hotel. you got the hookup. You know somebody on the inside. You know a guy who knows a guy. And you're trying to call and make a confirmation, but you're just having a little bit of trouble. Or you get tickets on the front row seat to the Beyonce concert and because you, you know somebody on the inside. Well, this is kind of what we're speaking about when we talk about the work that the Lord is doing within us. Except that instead of validating ourselves by who we know external from our bodies, we are validated by knowing that God is working in us both to will and to do everything according to his good pleasure. It's an inside job because we know somebody that knows somebody that's working on the inside of us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. But this is all contingent upon the way that we grow, the way that we walk down this path. Second Peter chapter three, verse 18 says, but grow 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, there's this progressive sanctification, this progressive walk that we're all called towards once we place our trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's always this path towards growing, and it's this path that keeps us firmly rooted because blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The word of the Lord in, in Psalm chapter 1 says that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of uh, living water, yielding fruit in its season. That leaf does not wither. And he prospers in all that he does. See, God wants you to grow. God wants us to grow beyond the aspects of these adolescent and sophomore statements of faith. For this is God's will. Here's the word, sanctification. Let the church say sanctification. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to hear this. Make him holy. Make her holy. I didn't say important. I said holy. Progressive sanctification has in view the setting apart of believers for the purpose for which they are sent into the world. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 17. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. That Jesus has set himself apart for God's purposes, both the basis and the condition of our being set apart. We follow him, don't we? And if he had to be sanctified, we are also to be in the same trend. We are sanctified and sent because Jesus was sanctified and sent. So let me go ahead and say this right now. You cannot measure a person's sanctification, Joe, based on their leaning into one political extreme or another. It has nothing to do with a person's sanctification, whether or not they vote red or blue. As a matter of fact, let me risk a little bit more light, as Gandalf would say, suggesting that given our current two-party political system, the further one walks down the path of sanctification, the more politically homeless they'll find themselves. Being sanctified is being set apart for God's use. You can't limit me because I've been sanctified. I'm, I'm walking down the path of sanctification. Therefore, every Christian must understand that there is an inextricable connection between theology and ethics. That's why I lament that the church is not the leading voice of this national movement calling for equitable justice in our practices and promotions and even in our policing. Because somewhere down the line, we have collectively forgotten that the only thing that will solve these social ills is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would not have a gospel that comforts the powerful but does not comfort the prisoner. I would not have a gospel that advocates for the unborn but remains silent when the Imago Dei is devalued and distorted and destroyed. I'm not talking about socializing the gospel. I'm talking about gospelizing the social. When the Bill of Rights conflicts with the Bible, we take the Bible. When culture conflicts with the canon, we take the canon. When civil authorities conflict with the Savior's authority, we lift up the Savior. When Capitol Hill conflicts with the hill far away, we take the hill far away. And when my feelings conflict with the final authority, I'm going to adhere to God's final authority. And when the flag or when monuments conflict with the cross, we take the cross. 
And when government conflicts with God, the sheep under the care of the great shepherd, they take God all the live long day. Let the church say grow. grow. When pragmatism conflicts with the power above, we submit to the power above. And when budgets conflict with the absolute big God, we work to please the absolute being and the big God. I'm not talking about being a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not speaking as an independent because heaven doesn't even know those terms. When you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to render his judgment based upon our party affiliation, but on whether or not we were willing to follow him, remain faithful, and proclaim his truth in the midst of this clash and moralities and worldviews. Oh, John Tavius, but I know it hurts when folks I've grown up with start to look at me funny because they think I'm becoming too liberal, a cultural Marxist, or a social justice warrior because I believe in standing up for the truth. My faith challenges the norms of society and her institutions because I believed in them for so long. I'm being led around by folks who look different than me and perhaps don't value the things of the world that I hold dear. It's uncomfortable. It hurts and there's pain. Well, Christ wants us to grow and there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. And I think my work's in vain But then the Holy Spirit Revives my soul again If you cannot preach A bomb in Gilead In order for us to grow up in Christ He's my author, my maker My ransom and my savior That's where we run to as a refuge When we feel alone and shunned By the world's systems And, when the, and the world's ostracizing and, the world's, and being maligned by the world's pop culture To grow is to embrace pain to grow, you have to be alive. Let the church say grow, be alive. Check on your vital signs. What kind of vital signs am I talking about? I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm talking about growth, movement, and breath. Are you growing? That's a vital sign. Are you growing in maturity as verse 13 says? Are you growing in doctrine as verse 14 says? Are you growing in patience with sanctified we often find ourselves growing impatient and upset with the babes in christ who after making a profession of faith fail to meet our expectations of external behavior and to that i gotta say listen you gotta catch the fish before you can clean the fish check your vital signs are you growing but let me ask you this are you moving are you moving because living things move even fluid and are you flexible can you speak to another context or does your gospel reach and your gospel fellowship only consist of a bunch of clones of your thoughts and your ideas? Are you wrestling in the tension that is a Christian community that is full of the complexity of cultures? Paul wants this church in Ephesus to speak the truth in love and to grow in every way into Christ. That is the same way Christ would speak to the religious. Christ would speak to the uh, Samaritan, the Jew, and the Seraphonician. We are called in the same way to be agents of Christ, community, and conviction. When are you breathing? Are you dedicating the palpitations of your heart and the beating of your breath to lifting up the Savior in your casual conversations with your brothers and sisters or perhaps your co-workers? Are you breathing and dedicating those breaths to praising and uplifting the Lord? Let me just throw some Bible on it. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. If you are alive in Christ, you will grow in Christ. And I've heard many pastors and leaders compare their churches to spiritual orphanages. 
and this is no respect of any demographic or church tradition. I've heard leaders say things like, I'm pastoring a bunch of grown children, where there's a church where it's just a couple of spiritual mothers or fathers, and they're responsible for leading a bunch of kids. The work of ministry, brothers and sisters, is this great work of ministry. Some people remain stifled, you know, because they think that God needs them to speak in front of hundreds or thousands. Sometimes the most mature thing you can do is help set up chairs or clean up after the church fellowship. No longer like little children being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Not being caught up in the tidal wave demanding that you be woke enough or demanding that you be conservative enough. No, no, no. You are free in Christ. Anything that seeks to put you into a box to determine your salvation is anti-gospel. Do you hear me, church? Not so the wicked, for they are like the chaff driven off by the wind. This comparative nature of uh, being here today and gone tomorrow juxtaposes time. You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. It would be best if you had milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Spurgeon spoke of this process in this way. Charles Spurgeon says, in order to make room for the display of the divine glory in Christ, Jesus and his salvation, there would come a withering of all corrupt and dying. And the grace of God alone should be exalted. Galatians captures that concept this way. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Let the church say grow. And yet God has not left you to, to fend for yourself in this walk of sanctification. I don't go away. The counselor, the helper will not come to you. Jesus says in order for the helper to come down first, I got to go up. Jesus says when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is our helper along the path of sanctification. He's the one who leads and teaches and not to speak. God wants us to grow in every way, not just in spiritual maturity and to be pious and to serve with our bodies, but God also wants us to grow in unity. Let the church say unity. You've got to work at unity, y'all. It didn't just happen by osmosis. And I'm trying to help somebody this morning because I know somebody feels discouraged. You're probably ready to throw in your hands and surrender because maybe you feel like you've been overlooked, but you've forgotten the number one fundamental principle is that unity is not automatic. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't just stay there. It requires work. You've got to work at unity, brothers and sisters. Paul and John Mark and Barnabas, they had to work at unity, but it was a part of their growth. God wants us to grow. He wants us to be on the same page. But in order for us to do that, we've got to lean in to where the Holy Spirit is leading us. We've got to lean in to his teaching and his admonishing. And praise be to God that he's so gentle and he's so kind. He's slow to anger. He waits on us even when we're slow to unify. But even when you work at unity, the threat of inherent in all of our bodies and our minds and our thinking going all the way back to the garden of eden 
the threat of disunity is always there. And that's why we've got to tie our unity and our eventual dwelling together. We've got to fasten that down to something stronger than whether or not we vote red or blue. It's got to be fastened down to something more everlasting than similar taste in music or Android or iPhones. It's got to be fastened down to something more than fashion or entertainment or where we live in the city or our collective likes or dislikes. It's got to be fastened down to something stronger than what's temporary, fleeting, and false. We build our hope for unity on what's fading and what's temporary, and that's why some of us remain so carnal. God has called us to be rooted in the him. You ever notice the guy who's only working on his biceps and he's got twigs for legs? We call him Stick Stickly because even though he's growing, imbalanced growth is not healthy. Putting the right thing in the wrong place makes the right thing doesn't work on the base and the foundation. The Word of God says it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1 says God has given divine power to us he's given us everything required for a life of godliness here it is through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness talking about Christ by these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires for this reason I want you to make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Paul, like the, the writer, Peter's not saying, oh man, just get your salvation card, get your fire insurance. No, he says, after you get your fire insurance, supplement that profession of faith with good works and godliness and self-control and the fruit of the spirit. Brothers and sisters, we cannot attain this on our own. It is only by submitting to the leading and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to grow, to walk down this path of sanctification. It is us on the potter's wheel. We are the clay and he is the potter. But God wants us to grow so patient, so kind. God wants you and he wants me to grow in every way into Christ. The goal of your growth is loving God and being like Jesus. At Emmanuel Church, we want to help you grow in love and in obedience to Jesus. Here are some personal disciplines that help us to grow. Gospel community. Let somebody say gospel community. And, and I hope that when you guys gather, it's like worship. You ever just broke out, maybe just sang a hymn together? No music, no need for that. Just Let's just be spiritual for a moment. Let's, let's pull away from the stresses of the job and let's just love on the Lord sometimes. Sometimes that's all we need to access the balm in Gilead. Not just worship, but also service. Finding a way in which you can help out your local community where you might be. These things help to mold us down this path of sanctification. You never, it's so funny. Uh, anytime you're faced with having to serve in the local church or be outside or come out here in the morning to set up speakers, man, it's, it's kind of like walking uphill. But man, once you get to doing it, it's, it's a sanctifying work. You can prayer. Are y'all meeting to pray together? What's your prayer life like? Is it is it a rhythm of just spotty, sporadic moments? Maybe a little quick thing before you eat a meal? Or you you can work out your arms and your legs and your back and your thighs. 
worship and service and prayer and fasting. Word of God says this, and I'm going to close here. From Christ, the whole body, fitted and knit together. Glory, both now and to the day of eternity. My prayer is that, brothers and sisters, that, that we grow in Christ's likeness. That we recognize that when we accept to follow Jesus, we've accepted a, a life of cross-bearing. Christ is to sometimes walk and feel alone, but there is a balm in Gilead. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And as we prepare to take communion, I, I, I want to I wanna invite you in to consider what it is to be a part of God's beside us as we work together and live in this tension of a broken world. To live in this tension of disagreements. To live in the tension of seeing violence and inequity. God is right there beside us. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And as I pray, I want you just to meditate on the goodness of Jesus. Grow into you, Father God. We want to grow into the model and the, the example of Christ. Father God, we, we want to be like you. Our, our thanksgiving is exemplified in our willingness to follow you, Lord. As we've partaken of your holy elements, Lord, we, we dwell on what you've, you've done. You've sent your son caring for us, Father God. He lived a life fully man, submitted himself, Lord to death, even death on a cross, that we might have peace with you, a chance at life, God, and we are grateful for that even on this morning. Our world is to knowledge of these things for all of our lives, and other, some others of us have, are just now coming into seeing how bad it can be, Father God, but we recognize that even though it's painful, uncomfortable, Father God, even though it hurts our hearts and it, and it, it sits on our minds and it increases our strength, we know there's a balm in Gilead that can heal the sin-sick soul, God. We lean into you on today. You are our refuge and our fortress, God. Members, Father God, or the people we might lead on the job when we have to correct friends and, and associates, Father God. Help us to speak the truth in love with the same courage, the same spirit that you've endowed us with. Help us to listen to the, to the Holy Spirit, Lord, as we walk down growth as a church and as individuals, Lord. Help us to value the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Help us to value the work that you're doing inside of us. Give us courage and conviction. Courage and conviction, Lord. We love you so much today. You're so patient and you're so kind and you're so awesome. This has been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.